Hi everybody and welcome to Marketplace Jungle, where we explore the world of marketplaces beyond Amazon. Brought to you by eChameleon, I'm your host, Jesse Rag. Today's guest works with some of the top brands in the world to help them tackle every step of the marketplace process. L'Oreal, Mattel, Castrol, Unilever and Henkel all work with Rex Brown for their UK marketplace presence. Shah Saki, Managing Director at Rex Brown, has led the team from their days as a Groupon-focused business to a point where they now manage over 50 eBay stores and are active on almost every relevant marketplace. In this episode, expect to learn how and why Rex Brown sacrificed valuable warehouse space to set up multiple studios for TikTok Live, how to build a marketplace business where Amazon only represents 40% of the pie, how you can use TikTok as both a marketing and a sales channel, which marketplaces have the best tools for sellers, and which marketplaces Shah believes offer the best options to promote your listings. Shah, welcome to Marketplace Jungle. Thank you so much for joining us on the show where we like to talk about everything to do with the world of marketplaces outside of Amazon. Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's great to have you on the show. I'm a huge fan of what you guys are building over at Rex Brown or what you've built and are continuing to grow over at Rex Brown in the UK. Shah, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Rex Brown, can you maybe give a little bit of an introduction to the company and then on top of that, also a bit of an introduction to yourself about how you got into e-commerce and and, um, where your particular expertise lies? Sure, no problem. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. Uh, it's uh, been a good two years we've known each other and i um, super proud and happy of you on this marketplace uh, jungle journey. So uh, firstly, just to say that. Um, to tell the story of Rex Brown, ultimately, we've got to sell the story of Welsh and Tidy, which is a cash and carry in West London. In the early 2000s, this was a, a place that shopkeepers would come ultimately, buy their goods and then sell it in their shops, which was what happened back then, uh, very much like a Costco model, if you can uh, sort of remember those times. Um, Rex Brown initially uh, was kind of selling those products that was in the cash and carry online. So selling them on the likes of Amazon, selling them on the likes of eBay. And we got good at a company called Groupon. So Groupon was a daily deals platform uh, doing emailers, very, very sort of aggressive pricing, and seven core principles, I would say, we got really good at was finding products, making listings, quality images, and then having the fulfillment network in the background, ultimately. So orders would come through. We had the technology. We would pick, pack, dispatch. We would find the products. So the sort of end-to-end basics of e-commerce was kind of founded there as, as Rex Brown. I think uh, fast forward to sort of 2015, brands started approaching us primarily to be on, on Groupon. And sort of two big flagship brands would have been Kimberly Clark selling toilet paper and um, Unilever. So primarily, the the goal for those two platforms was uh, brands was to just launch on Groupon. But what happened in this sort of you know two years after that was like, well, you're doing our our Groupon. Could you help us with eBay? Could you help us with Onbuy? Could you help us with Wish? And then, as you very much know, in this uh, marketplace jungle of ours right now, it's just spiraled out of control where right now what we consider ourselves is ultimately a sort of uh, brand services and solution partner. So brands will come on board. We look after this all sort of full vertical for them. 
and um, sit between brand and platform ultimately. So that's a sort of overview of Rex Brown and um, I guess a sort of short story and narrative of where we started from and where we're currently at. So would you say that Rex Brown is, if you had to pigeon your, pigeonhole yourselves, would you say that you're a 3PL or an agency or a retailer or a distributor or all yeah, of the great, above? Great, great. <laughs> yeah, great question. Um, we're probably all of them and none of them at the same time ultimately. Um, and let me sort of expand on that. We have 3PL capabilities. We have a full 250,000 square foot warehouse in, in central UK. We do the agency model where we uh, sell our products online and we do the whole sort of marketing for them. I, I, I kind of position ourselves mostly as a brand services and solutions, which is kind of the easiest and most digestible way to, uh, you know, talk about all of these various facets of e-commerce in, in one sort of easy way. Uh, people always ask us, who's your competitors? In a way, everyone's our competitors and then nobody's our competitor because nobody's covering that sort of big vertical of, you know, 3PL stuff as well as the front end execution. So we've taken on a lot, Jesse, we've taken on a lot. So how big, how big is the team? That, I mean, that, that, that's not a, a small undertaking. And I mean, warehouse aside, I imagine you've got one or two people running around your 250,000 square foot warehouse. <laughs> Uh, what what does the operational team look like? So we're currently uh, at 100 in total and we're scattered all over the sort of UK and world. We have a a team in rugby in the warehouse that's probably about 30, 40 people. The reason why that's quite low is because we are fully automated. That's kind of gives us one of our main uh, strengths and scalability factors. So we use a lot of automation, a lot of technology on that side. Uh, team in India who does a lot of the sort of content creation, customer services, and then the sales teams and everybody else will be in the UK. So then when you're, when you're talking about brands, I presume that you're referring to more household names than B2C startups. Uh, you mentioned Unilever before. Are there any other brands that you can sort of mention who, who you're working with just to give a bit of a scope for the, the kinds of companies you're helping? Yeah, um, Jesse, right now it's at that stage where we're just <laughs> inundated with brands. So I guess historically what happened was we got pigeonholed in this FMCG beauty world ultimately. So I mentioned Kimberly Clark, I mentioned Unilever, but then from there it was Henkel, it was P&G, it was, um, I'm then trying to think then, we went into more sort of homewares and like toys, so Mattel joined us. Then it was L'Oreal. And now it's literally people like WD-40. We've got Castrol. We look after the full eBay oil account. So we're not category specific, but I guess historically we were the two flagship brands that approached us were Kimberly Clark and, and Unilever. And as a consequence of that, all of those brands came on board first. But yeah, now it's as diverse as, as yeah, under one roof, you've got some oil and then some some Barbies. So what's what's been some of the biggest challenges that Rex Brown has faced with this multi-channel approach? Because it's very easy for a business to set up an Amazon-only business, but you guys, I don't even, do you even sell on Amazon? We do, okay. yeah, we do. We have 1P capabilities and 3P capabilities, and yeah, it's, it's um, Amazon is its own beast in its own right. Like when we're, when we're presenting to brands, we just have a full Amazon workshop, let alone start getting into the the other marketplaces, which we deep dive into as well. But yeah, how do we manage it? I guess ultimately we've got a team of developers who, who are doing a lot technology-wise. We have a team that it's, it's kind of a, a test and learn. We launch a new platform. 
we will see what their capabilities are, what their scalability is, and then we bring in people to ultimately become experts at that channel. So our partnership with eBay was precisely that. It, it was trying some listings, seeing how they go, and then developing and really sort of uh, building an expertise in that platform and then developing the team to, to manage that platform. And we work in sort of a, a triangular way where it's the content team, you've got a platform team, and then a marketing team. And these guys ultimately then go in and tackle those particular platforms. And, and, and that's kind of how we're executing at the moment. But yes, the complexities of it, I guess each channel has its own nuances mm-hmm. and uh, pain points, as you very well know. Are there any, are there any sort of specific challenges that, that you weren't sure that you'd be able to get past that you did? Which platform, Jesse? They're all, they're all nightmares, aren't they? <laughs> Um, I I guess ultimately, so I'm just trying to think of some more, if if we're going towards eBay in particular, let's just focus on that as a challenge. eBay, ultimately what you have is a a free-for-all of listings, right? Anybody can go onto the platform and list their product at whatever price they want. So then how do you stand out in amongst all of these other people? Now, eBay has its armory of tools, which you can use, which obviously we had to develop. But it takes time. I think time is probably one of the things that when you're working with these brands, they want you to execute pretty quickly. But to develop the expertise on these platforms takes time, a lot of test and learn. And if we're looking at eBay in particular, that was a, a period of transition of, okay, we've made this listing. Okay, the titles went right. What do we need to change? Okay, the images went right. What do we need to change? Did we learn about item, specific, item specifics on eBay, for example, have such a crucial role to play that takes it up into the algorithm a lot, lot better? But again, when you're first listing, it's not your first priority. Your first priority is just a list, ultimately. So I can go into so many, like we've just launched TikTok, and my God, the, the tests and learns there are at the fastest pace I've ever seen anything happen. But yeah, I definitely want to go into go into TikTok because um, I, I, I'm really excited to hear about how you guys have tackled that because I know you've built some, you've, you've managed to dedicate a lot of space to that physically and and uh, mentally so i'm really excited to go into that part with you because it's not something we, i know anything about really before we do um, it would be really helpful for me just to get a bit of an understanding um for some context uh, and, and you don't need to give me concrete numbers here but just approximately what percentage of the sales that you get coming through or the, or the revenue however you want to measure it comes from amazon versus non-amazon channels okay um, at this moment at time, I would say 40% would come from Amazon and 60% would come from the other platform. Wow. But to other platforms, there are a lot. So if I'm going to break that down even further, we would say uh, 25% would be eBay. Um, we've pushed TikTok a lot. And so we're seeing the revenues grow along. So that's taking up a more of a bigger percentage. But then from there is the long tail of other platforms all contributing in their own way. That's a very nice balance. That's, it's, it's, I mean, Amazon's a beast and it, it's not surprising that it has the lion's share, but it's very frequent that I'll be talking to a business who has 80, 90% of their revenue, total business revenue coming from Amazon, sometimes more. And that's a very dangerous position to be in because you only have to mess up once to 
get suspended on Amazon and your account might be offline for four, six, eight weeks. And for a lot of businesses, if you haven't got very good cash flow or if, you know, if it's a young business, that's, that can be it. That can be the game over. And I always try and encourage people to have as many non Amazon channels as possible to the point that Amazon is not more than 50% of the overall turnover. And as you just said, it could be that you have to add a hundred channels <laughs> in order to reach that. Um, but yeah, congratulations. Cause it's, it's, it's not a easy feat to do, but it sounds like you've done a very good job of getting to that stage. Jesse, you say it because we were in that boat in 2019 with at least 70% of our revenue came just from Groupon. And as a consequence, when Groupon strategy changed, we were left so vulnerable which is why in the last sort of three or four years, we've started pivoting and changing the business model, approaching different brands, approaching different platforms because of exactly what you just said. It was, it was a very, very dangerous position to be in. So tell me about TikTok. What's, what's happened there? I mean, obviously, I, I won't ask why it's become relevant because a lot of businesses are looking at TikTok now as a very interesting marketing channel or even a sales channel, I should say. But what's happening in your business for your customers with relation to TikTok and both from the marketing and the sales perspective? And what have you done to kind of make that a success? Sure. So um, firstly to highlight, it's all very, very new. Um, and let me give the narrative of TikTok because it coincides with the narrative of the changes Rex Brown made. So one of our flagship partners is L'Oreal, who we've made eBay stores for, who we do various projects for and with. TikTok, let's just say, have pioneered social commerce in a way that they now have the buy now button. So that means you're not being redirected like you would we with Instagram to a Shopify site or another way to do the transaction. So therefore the transaction is all happening in app and it's capturing all the data right there, which is powerful if you think about it, having social commerce like that. So if we take away the nuances of just TikTok itself and just imagine buy now in social is is a, a massive game changer, which I imagine other platforms, whether it's Facebook, YouTube will do. So that was the narrative. And so obviously us being the uh, partner of L'Oreal, when TikTok approached L'Oreal, they naturally introduced us. So we did all the integrations. We uh, made the stores as we would do any other sort of eBay channel. It was ultimately our bread and butter. We, we make we make channels, we make channels. And so that that process started and then the journey of it has been in the last two years a, a a really fascinating way of seeing how the social platforms are interacting with marketing teams with these brands and then sales teams because ultimately fundamentally what happens at these brands is the marketing teams don't really speak to the sales teams yeah. and you've got this marrying up right now of of um, marketing and sales that need to talk together to ultimately make it a success on TikTok. Now, we first started off we with L'Oreal. We had to make a live streaming uh, channel. So we, we made some studios, makeshift studios, where we called, uh, I think it was the beauty channel was our flagship. And yeah, ultimately, imagine QVC before for the generation now. Um, and that at first was very, very difficult, Jesse. It wasn't working. Like people weren't engaged in, in that level of content, especially on TikTok, right? TikTok is fast paced. TikTok is, you know, consumption on mass, content on mass. And so we had to almost pivot from how we did these long 
four hour, five hour lives. Um, just to backtrack a bit, because imagine that's where the success in China came from. Mm-hmm. It's these long live shopping uh, streaming, which is what TikTok were pushing us and L'Oreal to do. Fast forward a year and a half now, and we're talking about live streaming being a once a week moment. Imagine EastEnders at 7.30 on a Sunday. This is your uh, live call. Tune in at 7.30. You're going to get some deals, basically, right? Then you've got this uh, content creation where you're just you know, feeding the, the platform, feeding the channel content as you would and and customers are digesting it as they would any other instagram or you know you're scrolling and you can see content but um the thing that we started pivoting into is this community build where content creators are getting hands handled the products and then actually making content for that product so imagine a maybelline foundation a maybelline mascara on mass going to so many different content creators on mass making so much content it can really have a powerful powerful impact especially on the impulse buy especially on new products and that's where this kind of journey has gone with tiktok in the last yeah year and a half from going from four hour lives which we still do to you know an, a sort of universal way of looking at it like you know a schedule where these are the content this is what we're producing every single day these are the content creators we're speaking to to ask for content. 7.30, tune in, you're going to get some deals. So I, I kind of answered it in, a, in a, a, a sort of overall way, but does that make sense in terms of the journey and, and where we're at currently? And I'm, I'm sure it'll change again, Jesse. I was about to say, it, it does, and I'm going to have to try and get this episode out quickly because it will probably be out of date by next week. But um, <laughs> <Right. yeah. laughs> but so you, if I remember if I remember rightly, you mentioned um, before we hit record, you, you mentioned that you'd even dedicated some of your warehouse space to to these studios. It's not that you've gone and rented, um, you know, external studios, but you brought this in house. So you, your team have access to you've got your own resources for building these TikTok studio studio studios, plural studio yeah, studios. Yeah, incredible. Uh, and and then from a sales perspective, where does it fit into that split that we talked about before? Where would um, approximately what percentage is TikTok now and maybe what was it, say, six months ago? So, Jesse, we've put a lot of time, energy and resource into this. And in many ways, it was a very big risk on our behalf to do this because the ROIs, let's say, last year were minimal considering the amount of time, energy and resource that we had to put in building studios, content teams, uh, API connections and everything along those lines. We've only started seeing an uplift in the last five, six months of, of test and learns. And I'll say now it's probably coming up to about 15% of our, of our total, but that was a hard slog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not been easy. Um, but once we have seen something go viral and trend, it'll outdo an Amazon sale, basically. Okay. Even if you've got an Amazon bestseller, um, by the way, I'm putting my hands up thinking everyone's <laughs> Once you've got an Amazon bestseller, you know you can consistently get, let's say, 100 orders, 200 orders a day. The TikTok algorithm can push a product where it might just do 1,000 in one day. Okay. So would you say, would you say then now that, on the tail end of all of that effort and all of that heartache and headache that it was worth it? A hundred percent, hundred percent, because um, the way we look at it ultimately is every platform has got its part to play and its position. And if you are, 
I use Amazon, I go, I search for something, I know what I want, and I and I and I buy it, right? But TikTok has come into this uh, arena where it's very sort of impulsive, very sort of uh, uh, discovery based. Mm. So imagine the power, because you don't really go to Amazon to sort of have a look around. Oh, let me have a a browse. Let me see what's going. No, you know what you want. You go and buy it. Whereas the discovery element of TikTok has is, is extremely powerful, and and how you can get your product to in the reach of you know millions of people in in the space of five seconds. So it's almost uh, I always say the Super Bowl commercial, right? It's it's where everybody watches and TikTok. Everybody's there at the moment. So is it worth it? Yes, but I still think there's going to be a lot of twists and turns in in how the because you've got to think about it, TikTok's the first there. What happens when Instagram comes mm-hmm. on board? What happens when Facebook comes on board? What happens with YouTube? Are each of those social commerce platforms, are each of those social media platforms, what's the customer and how are they going to become commerce platforms? And what's the customer there? So there's going to be a lot more twists and turns in this, and I don't know how it will play out. There's a lot more opportunity for surprise as well, I suppose, in the sense that when you're looking at marketplaces, as an extension of your existing e-commerce business, it's, they, they make sense as a toe-in-the-water approach for an international expansion. You know, you can say, okay, let's let's look at going back to the EU. You know, Brexit's kind of settled down. We know what we need to do. We can start selling in Europe again. Let's go to Germany. Let's get on some top German marketplaces. Let's get on Kaufland, Zalando, Otto, About You, whatever might be relevant to my category. And then you you know what the I's and T's are that you have to dot and cross in order to start selling in Germany. But if you're on if you're if you've got a video that goes viral, you might start getting orders from parts of the world that you haven't figured out how to ship to yet, or what obligations you've got if you are shipping product there. Um, do you, do you have any tips for a seller that's looking at TikTok as a marketing channel that hasn't thought about those things yet? Are, is, are there solutions to that? So TikTok shop is primarily UK for now. Okay. Uh, it, it, so the shopping capabilities are not available for, let's call it worldwide. Now they're going to try and get into the United States. They're trying to do all of these other things. And I'm sure, you know, who knows what is going on in terms of the political environment there. But um, I, I personally haven't started looking into how the virality of a product will have an impact in Germany, for example, and then what we can do to ship it. But I'm guessing the principles are the same as, you know, Wish? Mm-hmm. Wish was very, very much, but if app-based, very impulsive, with worldwide shipping capabilities, basically. Yeah. So I'm imagining it'll ultimately end up in a similar sphere where, you know, your account will, as long as you've got ship- shipping capabilities, be able to go worldwide. Yeah, but I guess that's fine for the shop, but that doesn't help if the video goes viral and you suddenly start getting demand from another part of the world. Um, or, But I guess uh, from the shop perspective, that's also then the onus is on TikTok kind of to give sellers an opportunity to tick which boxes uh, or which countries they can and cannot ship to. I know I recently spoke to Tony Preedy from Frugo, and that's something that they do, for example, is you know with one feed, you can put your products on all of their international marketplaces, but you do have to say which countries you can and can't ship to, and they will obviously adapt what they show to the consumers in those countries based on that. Correct, yeah. One thing that we are noticing, though, is the trend might happen in the States. Okay. And it'll then trickle over to the UK. And so we're, in a way, you can see in advance that two weeks ago that happened on that product there, and then it's happening in front of us two weeks later. 
So we are seeing that element. But again, when it comes to, let's say, the e-commerce part of it and how you could potentially ship and all of those things, yeah, Frugo probably are a wish is the examples I can think of that you can have the shipping capabilities. So that's a really good point because it's easy, obviously, to look at the US and see what's happening there. And and until very recently, it was China. And, you know, we, five, six years ago, we used to look at China from our position in the West and we, we would look at what's happening there, be it live chat, started out being a very common thing there. And as you mentioned before, like this live shopping experience that's now come from, it's now moved its way to the West. What do you see coming next? Are there any trends that you see happening either in China or in the US that you think are going to make it to Europe soon? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, a couple of years ago, it was really a lot easier to see these trends and these topics coming up. But it's so difficult now because of, social and everyone's got a voice everyone's got, so if you're consuming that amount of information whether it's on instagram facebook tiktok it's it's i found it a lot harder to decipher what is gonna be the next big do you remember the finger spinners mm, yeah you know the finger spinners right in 2018 finger spinners went crazy it was easy to see because yeah it started trending in china then you can bring it over but now it just feels like it's just on content on mass uh, as a as a sort of looking at it, how are you going to decipher which one to bring in, which product to bring in? What are you going to risk your your business uh, on? Uh, how have you found it? How are you? How, that's a good question. I wish I had a, a good answer. It's, it's not as easy now. I think the only thing that I've really spotted is, and again, I'm very I'm very deep in the marketplaces world. But mm. the thing that I'm spotting is is more and more marketplaces, and it's. it's kind of started uh, during COVID when the e-commerce boom yeah. kind of hit off. And at that time, a lot of big names. At that time, one of two things happened. You were either a really big name and you already had traffic and the issue was stock. And supply chain was a problem. So you couldn't just, you know, call up your supplier in, in the Far East and say, hey, I need a bunch more products. What have you got? So... A lot of retailers, whether it was B&Q or Decathlon or, you know, you name it, MediaMarkt in, in, in Europe, they all started going towards technologies like Miracle and Spryker and Marketplacer and becoming a marketplace because opening the doors to their already well-performing website was a good way for them to very quickly add hundreds of thousands, if not millions of SKUs so that the people that were coming to their website during this e-commerce boom had products to look at. The other side of that coin, of course, is retailers and brands that were looking at e-commerce either as a way to replace revenue from that they'd lost from high street stores or from physical other physical locations, or they were just looking at marketplaces for the first time for their brand, or it was a marketplace first brand that had maybe started on Amazon and was now looking at, you know, where else can we sell? They then began looking at other marketplaces. And this is turning into a bit of a spiral more and more sellers that you've got being available being open to selling on more and more marketplaces means that there are more and more marketplaces that are starting to open up because that's now a lucrative model and you're seeing a lot more collaboration between sellers and marketplaces because they kind of realize that everyone wins from that dynamic now again this is a very niche perspective because that that is my niche i can't tell you if there's going to be some really obscure thing coming coming from china in a couple of years time like uh like live chat or tiktok but yeah. I do see 
marketplace is becoming a lot more diversified than they have been in the last few years. Because I mean, until very recently, it was only Amazon and eBay, and then Walmart kind of came along. But most sellers wouldn't look at other marketplaces because the time and effort it takes to sell there with, you know, everything like you mentioned with the item specifics, with the categories, with the, you know, the really nitty gritty bits that, you know, is our daily business at eChameleon that you as a retailer have to get right if you actually want to get enough sales from this other channel that it makes sense to do that work. And most sellers just didn't bother because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're not getting the sales from eBay, why would you put time and effort into eBay? And now there's so many channels coming up that people are just starting to go, okay, let's actually have a marketplace business, not just an Amazon business. And then they do start doing that. And then it starts working for them. And then other non-Amazon marketplaces start to perform as you're seeing. And then that makes it easier for them to go, okay, you know what? This, this is worth an investment. Let's put some time and effort and people into this side of our business of marketplaces and let's grow that. And then let's be ready that when another marketplace pops up, that we can jump straight on it and be a first mover and not have to be, you know, not wait six months or, or a year or until our competitors are performing there before we decide to do it. Okay. Uh, at what stage do you see, uh, let's just say, you're, uh, you're right, 100%, there's so many more marketplaces coming on board, so many more platforms doing this. Are you finding it easier when the platform or the marketplace is more overall or more niche? Because, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of them, aren't we, at this very moment in time? It's, it's a, a good question. In general, I think both work well. The niche marketplaces tend to be better for non-specific, <laughs> yeah, obviously for non-specific categories, right? But I think, for example, the decathlon marketplace, if you think decathlon, you think sports and outdoors, now, you do notice that they start selling products that are, you know, it's a bit of a stretch. You know, like, yep. yeah, okay, a dog lead. Yeah, maybe I'd buy it in the store if I was there looking for a pair of, you know, for a new tent or something and I saw that there was a dog lead. But I'm not going to go to the cathedral and look for a dog lead. I might go to Fresnap, the, the pet shop marketplace here in Germany. But that's, as you said, it's going to be for those impulse buys. The generalist marketplaces, the issue they've got is they've got to compete with Amazon because that's where you're then going to go for, um, you know, for your product search. And you're going to, you're not going to go to a third or fourth tier generalist marketplace and look for a product unless you, unless it's something a bit specific or a bit, yeah, exactly. You know, a yoga mat or a skipping rope, you're just going to go on Amazon and get the cheapest one you can find that's going to get to you next day because you've already paid for that prime delivery. And why would you want to pay for shipping again? The other thing, of course, is that with most of these marketplaces is that they also have feed into price comparison sites. And so that's another avenue that is starting to grow again. In Germany, we've got um, Idealo or it's kind of spelled Idealo. Um, there's different ones around the world. But marketplaces also feed these prices in there. So as a seller, you can also, by offering your products for sale on a marketplace, you can also kind of benefit from these price comparison sites. And that's a step where marketplaces are kind of promoting your products for you. For me, then it suddenly starts becoming into, you, you mentioned the price comparison, which is amazing. And, and it's it becomes a Google play, doesn't it? So then if it's a niche marketplace, whether it's a niche DIY, beauty, whatever it might be, then it's how much money you're spending on Google to get your 
ranking up there as opposed to yeah going to amazon and just buying it, right or you know whatever so it's 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 interesting to see how these marketplaces are going to stand out against amazon and what their strategy is and it's something weird by as a brand as well like okay you want to launch on this marketplace what's going to be different though to amazon what's going to be different to ebay what's going to be because that's how you're going to drive sales on that that platform ultimately because you're right with the amazon prime it's 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 amazing how, how how you can get something next day. I think the next big mover will be when AI gets integrated into this product search for people who don't actually know what they're looking for. You know, when you're looking for you, you've got a problem and you know you need a solution to it, and you're sure there's got to be a product out there for it, but you don't know what it's called, you don't know what to type in, you don't know what the search words are, but you can go to a Chat GPT or Google's um, Bard, I think it's called, and you can say, hey robot how do i solve this problem and then it's like hey here's this really random thing that i found on this website you've never heard of which is being sold by some retailer you don't know that would probably solve that problem for you by the way Uh, it costs 20 euros my share of that is 10 percent. i'll pass you straight on to the retailer everyone's happy that would be interesting I see. I think you've just come up with a new marketplace. <laughs> Could be. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Definitely. So I want to come. I do want to come back to the TikTok side of things very briefly because you you have invested a lot into getting that ball rolling and agency distributor retailer three PL whatever we want to call Rex Brown. Not every brand wants to outsource this stuff. Not everyone can afford to outsource this stuff. Um, what would be what's sort of the, the bare minimum that somebody needs to set up a good operation for for this? Like, who, or let's talk about the the human and the physical resources that someone needs to have. Is it you know do you need twenty marketing people and and a, and a whole studio, or is it something that you can do in a basement somewhere? Yeah. So to scale it back, ultimately, I always just say look at it as any other marketplace to start with. Um, whether it's an eBay or whether it's an, an Amazon even, you're just launching and having shopping capabilities. Now, the same with Amazon right now, you can you can make a Amazon store and you can list, but that doesn't mean sales, right? You've got to start learning how to do the Amazon sales part. You've got to learn how to go into the Amazon algorithm and all of those things. And this is the same same concept. It's just there's more variables. And so going into it, yeah, you can add your shop on by all means. It's another marketplace for you to sell your toilet paper, your garden furniture or whatever. If you do the basics there, there are plenty of other agencies for you to go to. So if you're hypothetically a garden furniture seller, imagine that's going to be very, very difficult for you to do a studio and all of those things. Yes, there's people that you can ultimately uh, make content for, hire them out for a day, and then you build little micro content. Basically. And and that if if it starts getting uh, virality on it, if it starts trending, it can actually really start selling. So I think the basic forms, a lot of the marketplace players can add on and do it straight away. But from then, it's investing in content, mm-hmm. and then the marketing plays the marketing play, which you would do anyway on the likes of whatever it might be, Frugo, Wish, Amazon, eBay. So it's just how do you create content, and do you outsource that content? Do you do it in house? Those are the questions I would ask of these sellers and, and those are the choices they need to make. Now going full blown live and having a studio and all of those things, we were very early in this game and that was what we thought was the right thing to do, but it's not necessary. 
content creation is definitely necessary. But ultimately, anybody who's got a brand and they're selling, they're doing that anyway. They're doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's just adapting your content to TikTok's content ultimately. So it's not a big, big pivot if 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 you think about it. it it's just adapting the content that you're like. Ultimately, this is content right now. We're, we're, so it's how do you then cut this up? How do you edit it to be relevant to the TikTok customer? I'll let you know when and, I find out. Like, <laughs> um, unfortunately, I can't help you with uh, with this uh, this industry. But um, yeah, does that make sense it in does. terms of just I'm, I'm looking at it? It does. And and on the topic of investing, um, and I think this is going to be my my penultimate question to you. Okay. You've obviously got a lot of experience in investing in marketplaces in the sense of promoted listings. Now, obviously Amazon has a ton of seller tools available. You've got your, all of your A plus content and, and PPC through the roof that you can, you know, throw everything at until the sales start coming in. But from your experience, what are the best marketplaces out there that you can, that a seller can kind of invest in to promote their new sales channel? Does, do you know what I mean? Uh, and, and perhaps for a little bit of extra context, um, I mentioned, I spoke to Tony Preedy recently from Frugo, um, and he referred to, I think, he, I think he called it a content dial or a commission dial in the sense that their fee is X, but the seller can turn that up or down and that kind of directly impacts the amount that Frugo will then spend on things like Google shopping in certain markets. And it means that, yeah, you pay Frugo a little bit more, but they're also throwing a bit more at marketing. So everybody wins. But what's been your experience there? So I think they're all got their own version of that, whether it's, I can't remember who it was. Someone's called it the boost. Someone's called it, uh, whatever their, the name in their terminology is, is yeah, put in a certain extra percentage to get your products higher up mm-hmm. in search ultimately who does the best look it's hard to sort of not be a promoter of amazon ultimately because you are very much in control of your own destiny um ebay's tool pls is 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 fantastic because it takes away the spend unnecessary spend and you're ultimately paying off what you've sold that is powerful if you think about it so if you're willing to then sacrifice some percentages of sale you could potentially manipulate that take that up to the search and, and really push your products so i have been a fan of ebay's one that, that's for sure and then yeah to be honest with you that's they all have their own version of that exact thing that you just described that frugo has um Ombai has it wish has it so there, there isn't anyone that stands out to me i guess pls does stand out i mean you're familiar with pls as well yeah. right in terms of just its simplicity is is quite uh, a good tool. Fantastic. Okay, and and uh, my final question, shall would be, you obviously are talking to big brands very regularly about the topic of expansion via marketplaces, and I'm curious for anybody that's kind of new to this world, where do you, where do you actually go to keep up to date on that? Where do you go to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world of marketplaces? Are there any resources or, or websites or anything that you can share? Um, so I guess we're in a very fortunate and privileged position being at that sort of cusp between brand and platform where we get a lot of the information, whether it's from the platforms or for the brands. So if you're talking about X brands, they are constantly being pitched to with various other sorts of new technologies coming on board, new platforms that people are pitching. So 
we get a lot of that information from those brands and and so but in terms of actual resource uh whether it be from blogs or uh stuff like that i just i, I don't i'm not there in that world. yeah i just because it, it in a way very fortunate that it falls in our laps these new platforms that are coming on board like we've just had a recent one that's um uh, launching and they're trying to do gamification for it basically okay. so selling products by gamification is a great idea right but uh, happy to have the conversation but that didn't come to me via my own research it came via referral mm, fantastic okay i think we can call it a, a day show um th- this has been awesome there's so many nuggets in here and talking about how am i going to repurpose this for tiktok or anything else I don't know, but I'm going to have to figure out how to sniff this up because there's lots of little bits in there that I think are going to be really useful. Um, I really wasn't expecting to talk about TikTok. I thought you guys were the eBay experts, but apparently you've rebranded. Um, <laughs> we, we still have, we have 50 eBay stores. Jason. 50 eBay 50, stores. Yeah, 50 eBay stores. So we're still there. We're still doing everything for eBay. We're still working with all the platforms. I guess TikTok is just the most relevant and current thing to talk about, which we're doing. Um, because I guess ultimately we've promoted ourselves as eBay for so mm. long. Uh, eBay, even Groupon, to be honest with you, we, we, we're kind of, we, we know those platforms very, very well along with Amazon, but um, TikTok's been the most relevant, but we still, yeah, 50 eBay stores and growing, like we're, we're launching a new one every other week. So when someone does steal my idea and open up a chat GPT driven marketplace, <laughs> that will yep. be the next cool thing. Heard it here first. I will have to get you back on and we'll talk about how you guys have already Solve that and already ace it because I'm sure you will. Uh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure being on and I appreciate your, your time and questions. Thank you, Sha. Thank you, buddy. Okay, I'll admit it can be daunting to try and emulate what Rex Brown have built in a regular e-commerce business, but it is possible to scale back each of the elements that they do. You don't need to build your own TikTok studio. You can rent them easily enough. 3PLs and agencies are a dime a dozen. You've just got to find the one that works for you. I might well be preaching to the choir here, but I think the one thing that Shah and the Rex Brown team do well is having a diversified marketplace approach. Even in a business with all of those connected channels, Amazon still represents almost half of the overall turnover. But Rex Brown is a great example of what can happen when you're not afraid to take risks and to invest in making sure you've got as many sales channels as possible. It's many legs under your marketplace table, so to say. Even if one falls away or isn't as strong as the others, your table or your business is still standing. I'd like to just take this opportunity to thank you for listening in so far. The podcast officially launched last week and we had such a great response. Um, I've really been blown away by all the positive feedback. So if you've made it this far through the episode, I guess you're one of those people that has probably listened in quite early on. I am really excited to see where this thing takes us. And yeah. If you have any recommendations for guests, I'm always open for that. If you've got a marketplace business or are thinking of selling on marketplaces or have discounted marketplaces for your business, I'm really interested to talk to you. And and also if you are a marketplace. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And until then, we'll see you next time.